Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. Before we delve deep into God's word, let us commit this time to Him in prayer. Let us pray. Gracious and loving Father, we thank you for this time, for this morning, that we are able to gather here in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, to sit at His feet, to listen to His word, and to draw near to you. We ask, God, right now that your Holy Spirit illumine our minds, cause us to see the beautiful treasure of your truth in your Holy Word. Guide us, O God, according to your truth. Open the eyes of our heart, that not only may we see you, but that we can truly follow closely in the footsteps of Jesus. So speak, O God, for your children are listening. This we pray in Jesus' matchless name. Amen. Now this morning, I'm going to reflect and expound from the gospel reading that was just read before us. So let me encourage you to keep your Bibles open to that passage in Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. Okay? And before I go into the exposition, I just want to start with this sharing that I experienced many, many years ago as a pastor's kid. Um, this is very, very long time ago. Whenever my father would get invited to visit homes. And I remember there were certain occasions when we would go there, it would be a very elaborate welcome. You know, the food was awesome. Uh, the fellowship was good. And then at the end, suddenly the, well, at least the patriarch or the father or the family would just introduce his wife to us. And for me, I found that really odd because I did not see the wife at all throughout the visitation. And then I found out she was busy in the kitchen and she didn't have time to come and meet with my with the family. And I found that a bit odd at that time because as a young person, as a young man, not probably even before I was a teenager, I asked myself, hey, you know, uh, wouldn't it be nice if we all just sat down and got to know each other? And of course, as we grow up, we understand Asian hospitality, yeah? the role of the matriarch or, or the woman in ensuring hospitality in the house. And it comes therefore from a, a, an intent of sincerity and magnanimity to bless the visitor. But at the same time, I couldn't help but shake that feeling as a young person that we are here to, to meet with you. We are here to get to know you. It's such a shame that uh, we only got to meet the man of the house. We didn't get to talk to the woman who's behind all of this because she was too busy doing everything. And as I prepared this passage, I, I recalled that, that incident. And obviously that, that lady at that time did not become flustered like Martha. It was all done in a good spirit. And nevertheless, however, I want to just point this incident to you in this passage because the thrust of visitation is actually not about receiving excellent service, to be very honest with you. The thrust of visitation is really to engage, to spend time. Uh, if you really wanted five-star treatment, you go to a nice fancy restaurant, isn't it? And so for me, as I looked at this passage, I feel that the Lord is actually calling us to focus on something more important than hospitality. You know, could it be the case? You know, hospitality is good, but it must not be distracted by attention given to the ultimate guest in our home, that is the Lord. Now this morning, I start with this question next. What would you do if Jesus visited your home? What would you do? Doesn't matter if you're the man of the house, the woman of the house, the children in the house. How would you prepare 
to receive Jesus as your guest. We see in this very short passage, I find it to be very, very interesting because sometimes when we preach, we always talk about how the gospel of Jesus Christ is for the ends of the earth. It has universal implications, salvation of people, life in the new heavens and earth, all so big, all so fantastic, isn't it? And today's passage, we see how Jesus, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, whom we have just read in that letter in Colossians, the one who created all things, goes into a home is received as a guest and spends time with the family in that home. If you have your Bibles with you, look at Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And verse 39, and she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. In the context of this visitation, or at least for Jesus' perspective, being welcomed into Martha's house, if you read the chapter before, leading up to this passage even, we find that Jesus is on a journey, actually. He's not just randomly going around. He's on a journey towards Jerusalem. Uh, it will culminate, of course, in his betrayal, his arrest, and then his crucifixion. And as he goes throughout this region, he experiences mixed response. If you read, for example, earlier on in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, as he goes to do ministry, he says in 9, chapter 9, verse 51, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And there a Samaritan village actually rejects him. So he's not welcome there. He's rejected. He's not given hospitality. But here, one chapter later, he enters this home and he is given hospitality. And the home that receives him is described as that of belonging to a woman named Martha who welcomed him into her house. Now, this is actually quite interesting because normally in those days, the one who is the host is usually typically the man of the house, the husband. But here, it is Martha who is mentioned as the one who is the host. And so some scholars have, have looked at this and in light of the norms of the day, they have speculated that maybe it could be that Martha was a widow at the time and she had inherited this home and therefore the task was on her, the responsibility to plan this hospitality for Jesus, you know. Now, of course, we don't attach all those attributes that we read in Colossians just now, you know, the preeminent one, the creator to Jesus at this time. Doubtless he is. But the public at that time perceived him nevertheless as this great teacher, this great miracle worker, possibly even the Messiah. So it was still a big deal. This is the most important person that she could ever receive. And she welcomed him and the disciples into her home. Now, at the same time, she has a sister. If you look in verse 39. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Whilst Mary was sitting at the Lord's feet and listening to his teaching, we find that Martha is doing something else, isn't it? Look at verse 40. Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him, to Jesus, and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Again, I cannot help but reflect that sometimes when I go for visitation, you have 
especially yeah, one person doing all the work, making sure the house is nice and in order, the food is prepared, and then you've got some of the children there who are not interested in serving the guests, they just want to play their gadgets or they'll just uh, reluctantly serve and all that. And so this is actually the contrast, at least from Martha's perspective. Because we see that as Jesus comes into the house, what does Mary do? Mary is not described as serving like Martha. Mary is described as someone who sits at the Lord's feet and listens to his teaching. Now, the, the word sat, uh, if you look at, uh, and I'm reading, sorry, from the English Standard Version, by the way, just, just so that uh, it, if it helps you in terms of the nuances of the English language. In the English Standard Version, it says, and she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. In the Greek, uh, the word sat actually literally gives you the imagery of sitting beside. And at the same time, if you understand Jewish custom, when they receive teaching, they would sit at the feet of the teacher. So it not only gives us this picture of closeness physically and attentiveness, therefore, but socially as a norm, something very odd is happening. Now, for us who live in the 21st century English-speaking congregation in Malaysia, we will not even give it a second thought that there is a young lady receiving teaching from a teacher, right? That's not an issue at all today. But in Jesus' day, even in first century Judaism, this picture is very radical. On one hand, you may say, why isn't Mary serving like Martha? But on the other hand, you will also be perplexed if you were reading this in the first century, thinking, what is this woman doing? This is not her place. Women in those days did not receive formal education. And this teacher, this Jesus, is known as this great authoritative teacher with teaching that would be, you could say, reserved for the more learned people. Although in the Gospels, we have seen that Jesus teaches to everyone, isn't it? That is the revolution that Jesus was bringing that the gospel message, the gospel teaching is for everyone. And in the context of this Jewish home, we see that Jesus is consistent. And Mary is actually allowed, welcomed, to not only be in close proximity with Jesus, literally beside him at his feet, but then with this stance of listening to receive his teaching. In fact, the word listened here, again in the Greek, it gives us this picture a little bit better. It is in the present continuous posture. That means she's continually just sitting there and listening and getting engrossed and being so involved in the teaching of Jesus. That's what she's doing. It's as if that, that place now becomes a time to just listen to Jesus. Just to sit down and listen and listen and listen and listen. All attention on Jesus. In stark contrast to this, rather radical picture that we see back in Jesus' day, we find that Martha is described in the separate, in the opposite manner. Let me just mention one more thing before talking about Martha. What Jesus is doing here with Mary is actually not just circumstantial, it's not just uh, an isolated incident. In the Gospels, uh, we find, and even in the book of Acts actually, and throughout the pastoral epistles, we find that Jesus and the early church have given much prominence uh, to the role of women in participating in the gospel, in participating as witnesses, in receiving teaching as disciples. 
In fact, we have instances whereby there's someone who is mentioned in the Bible known as Phoebe, yeah, in the epistles, who is given the task, and in the Greek, she's given this name, uh, diakonos. Uh, if you want to translate that literally, it means deacon, by the way. And she's given the task to give one of Paul's letters and read it to the church. And it all starts here, actually. All started here in these Gospels, where Jesus treated women in a very, very different way, in a very empowering way, where they were equally part of the kingdom of God. Yes, women had their roles, men had their roles. They had special functions and special roles in church. But in essence, they were called to participate equally as one in Christ, to receive teaching from the Lord. And it all started here, in this little home. And then it continues to perpetuate throughout the early church. We see that in the book of Acts, with Philip's daughters who would prophesy in the church. We see that with Phoebe, as I mentioned, in the pastoral epistles. And let's not forget the most important role that women have played in the Gospels thus far. They were the first eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. As a man who's reading this, having a wife who's active in Christian ministry as well, I cannot run away from this. It shows me very clearly that there is this role of importance for women. That we should not, even in the 21st century, sometimes I, I see this and it's quite odd. We should not say you know, that women, you cannot be involved in receiving the same teaching. You know? And thankfully, STM, has, has been involved in getting you know, both women and men to be involved in receiving theological education. But more importantly, we see that Jesus shows us that everyone can come to him directly. You do not need a, a male mediator, for example. If you are a daughter of the Lord, you go to him directly. You sit at his feet, you receive that teaching. And I think that's something which we need to remind ourselves today. That in Christ, we are all one. In Christ, we stand equal before him. And he wants to commune with us. He wants to teach us. When he comes to us, it's not about us saying what can we do for him. It's what can we actually learn from him. And this is a beautiful posture that I see in this very short passage. Now, in stark contrast, sadly, we see another woman, however, in the name of Martha, despite her best intentions as the host of the house, but Jesus sees through her hospitality as masking something that is not very right in her life. So the issue here in this passage is not that hospitality is not as good as sitting at Jesus' feet receiving teaching. It's not that. Let's not misunderstand this passage. Hospitality is good. Receiving teaching from Jesus is very good. And if you do it in love, both very good. But Jesus saw something that was masking that hospitality of Martha. And actually, Martha gives it away because of her reaction. If you look at the scripture right now in verse 40, in stark contrast to this Mary who sits beside the Lord at his feet, continually listening to his teaching, Martha is described in the Gospel of Luke as a person who is distracted with much serving, isn't it? Verse 40 in the ESV. But Martha was distracted with much serving and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Now, there are three things here in this, in this sentence alone which I think is important for us. Firstly, when Dr. Luke describes Martha as being distracted with much serving, 
The word distracted here actually gives us this picture of someone who is being dragged away. Dragged away because she's doing a lot of other things, but more importantly, dragged away from Jesus. It is actually possible, my friends, that we can say that we are busy serving the Lord, but it distracts us from the Lord. It is quite odd, isn't it? It is quite sad to hear that. That you can actually be busy, so busy doing God's work, serving Him, in fact, but it becomes a distraction from encountering the Lord. Now, I have made this observation, and, and it's not always the case, but I've seen it as, a, as someone who's growing up in certain churches. Sometimes, again, in the name of hospitality, there are church members who don't attend the service, but they are downstairs preparing all the food. And again, it's with good intent. And I hope that when they do that, they have a rotation. That means one week you do it so that the next week you can come for service. But if that person is perpetually week in, week out, just downstairs and doesn't want to come for service, doesn't want to listen to the preaching, doesn't want to participate in the Holy Communion, there is a problem actually. Because it is one thing to be busy doing things for church. And it's quite another to actually be worshipping the Lord together. And actually Jesus saw right through Martha in this specific case. We will come to that very soon. But Dr. Liu describes her as being distracted with much serving. But that's not all, you know. Not only was she distracted from the Lord by all these things, done with good intent nevertheless, but we see this second bit here. She actually has the audacity to say this to him. If you read the second part of this verse, Lord, do you not care? that my sister has left me to serve alone. Tell her then to help me. Now, in, in my sermon during the last uh, combined service, it was last month, isn't it? I talked about this passage in the book of Acts when Ananias was sent by God to go and minister to this dangerous man Saul. And Ananias will always call God, right? Lord, isn't it? Very quick to use the word Lord but not willing to follow through with what it means to call Jesus Lord. And here, we have not necessarily a betrayal of that word, or at least going against that word, but it's essentially something that doesn't jive as well, because you don't call someone Lord, and then you accuse that person, and what's more, you tell this Lord to do something, to command the Lord. Isn't that what's happening right now with Martha? She says, let me read that sentence again, Lord, do you not care? that my sister has left me to serve alone, tell her then to help me. The first instance of addressing Jesus as Lord, followed by the second sentence, which is a command. It is in the tone of a command. Tell her then to help me. Commentators have actually looked at the way this is written. Actually, say this is actually a very rude remark. Because at the second sentence, when, he's, when she says to him, tell her then to help me, it's essentially paraphrased as, get a hold of yourself, Jesus, and tell her to do what's needed. It's really that harsh, you know. It's almost telling Jesus to like, wake up. Do you not know what is more important right now? She's the host. She's not doing her role. She's not sitting at your feet. This is not her place. Get a hold of yourself. You are a teacher. Shouldn't you know better? It is really that kind of tone. So that is actually exposing the state of Martha's emotional well-being, actually the state of her heart even, despite 
doing all that she can for potentially a lavish expression of hospitality. But secondly, there's one more thing about her concerning Mary. She says in the first sentence, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? The word left, yeah, or left me, that phrase, is interestingly compared with the earlier statement when Mary is described as listening to Jesus' teaching. Because when, G when Mary is described as listening to Jesus' teaching, it is described in the present continuous tense. That means she's perpetually just so engrossed in listening. But here on the flip side, Martha is saying, Mary is continuously leaving me alone. It has that same effect in terms of the Greek language. And I find that to be potentially quite interesting for us to understand the tone of what's going on. As Mary is so engrossed, continually listening at the feet of Jesus, from Martha's perspective, Mary is continually abandoning her. That's how she feels. Say, so you're part of the family, you're not doing your part. And this is Jesus, you know. You should be doing something, you have abandoned me. That is the extent of how she felt about both Jesus and actually Mary. Now, Jesus sees through Martha. And does Jesus reprimand her harshly? No. Again, we see this side of the Lord that is always merciful, very pastoral. If anyone is going to be the chief pastor example, it is Jesus. Look at how he responds to this brash response, this brash reaction from Martha. In verse 41, But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. The way that Jesus is described here in how he addresses Martha is actually that of sympathy, you know. When he repeats her name and he calls her that way, it's not in terms of scolding her, but it's actually trying to tell her, okay, there's more than meets the eye. There's something else that is affecting you. It's not the hospitality that is the problem. It is your heart. And that's why he says this. Only the Lord can see through this. And that's what he, this is what he says. You are anxious and troubled about many things. How many times have you tried when someone important comes to you to put on a good show? I don't know about you, you know? Like for me, maybe if Pastor Matthew comes to my house, I need to clean up my house, make sure everything's in order, you know, my kids are behaving properly. But I ask myself, do I do that to impress Pastor Matthew? Perhaps Pastor Matthew just wants to see me as I am and wants to talk to me, not to be impressed by me. By the way, Pastor Matthew and the family have come to my house once, at least for dinner so far, and he's my badminton kaki. But similarly, this is what Jesus was saying to Martha. You are doing all these things, yes, in the name of being a host, but the way you're doing it is not so that you can encounter me. And sometimes I feel for us as well, if you've been going to church many times, many years, we are not here to impress the Lord, you know. We are coming into his house, by the way, in the church today. We are not here to impress him, to put up a facade that everything is well and to be busy doing all these things. The Lord doesn't want that. 
the Lord wants to talk to you as you are. He wants to engage us as we are. He wants us actually to be like Mary, to receive his teaching, not to impress him. If we're not here to do that. And this is so important in the life of discipleship, I feel, because for us as people, children of God, serving in your own different capacities, we must never ever be distracted by this kind of approach. You know, you want to do things so that we can impress people, not in, not in a superficial sense, but so that people will think well of us. When we come to your house, let's say if pastor comes to your house, you want to make sure everything is all okay and good, and you may say, yeah, it's in the name of hospitality, but also how much of that is so that you can show pastor that, okay, like, I'm quite decent as a church member. We must never be like that. I don't think we are like that. But for those of us who, if this speaks to you, you have to recognize that the Lord is not interested in being impressed by you. The Lord wants you to yield to him, which is what Mary is doing. And so when Jesus calls out Martha, he says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Her hospitality was masking her insecurity. Her hospitality was masking the state of her heart, which was actually in Bahasa, if you know this word, Berjelaru, you know, it's all over the place. You know, you, you're trying to impress the master, you're trying to make sure that your, your sibling is, in the, is doing the right role at home. It's a lot of pressure. I know for those of you, if you have ever hosted someone important, you may have felt that way before. You know, if All Saints is going to host an ordination, this one, uh, pastor will also think, oh, how I'll cut up and all that, make sure everyone's okay. But do we do it to impress the guests? Or do we do it out of love? And you're not interested in impressing people. We just want to serve you. We just want to love you. Jesus goes on to say, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. What is that one thing that is necessary? Jesus goes on to tell Martha, one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. In the Christian faith, it is actually really about the person of Jesus. Christianity is really not about a set of principles that will guide you to live a virtuous life. It's not even a blueprint for community development in the kingdom of God, no. Christianity is essentially encountering the person of Jesus Christ as the Son of God. And when we understand that this is the crux of our faith, then we will make that our priority. So what does it mean to be a Christian, actually? Firstly, the priority is to encounter Jesus as Lord and Saviour. To always be in that posture that is like Mary, to sit beside the Lord at his feet, to receive his guidance, to receive his nourishment, to receive his teaching and affirmation and assurance. And then from that position of security, you do God's work. This has actually been, been always reminded to me. I think it's very, very difficult. Sometimes as pastors, uh, we have so many indicators that we have to do, so many things we have to do, and those of you are serving as well. So many things you need to attend to. But those things do not define who you are as a Christian. 
you're serving as a priest, you're serving in the music ministry, you're serving in the, the hospitality, you're serving with the equipment and visitation does not define you as a Christian. That's not who you are. But those are supposed to be the outworkings of your relationship that's centered on Jesus Christ. Now, this is fundamental. This is something that all Christians should already know. But in practice, we have seen many times, whether it is laity or clergy, we struggle with that pressure. Because sometimes we may end up being like Martha. We put on the front, we say, I'm doing it in the name of God for serving. But inside, you're not at peace. <laughs> inside, you are very, very, uh, feel very overwhelmed, pressured, not happy. If that is the case, ask yourself, is it because you're being like Martha? Or are you focused on being like Mary? One thing is needed, Jesus said to Martha. And it's interesting that this phrase uh, actually repeats itself eight chapters later. In Luke chapter 18, very quickly, let me just show you. When Jesus talks about the one thing that is needed, in Luke chapter 18, this is where we'll come to the end. Uh, in the incident concerning the rich ruler, Luke chapter 18, verses 18. And let me just read this to you. Okay, if you have your Bibles, please turn it as well. Luke 18, verse 18. Now let me read from the English Standard Version. And a ruler asked Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, All these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said, one thing you still lack. What is that one thing? He goes on to say, sell all that you have, distribute to the poor, and you will have a treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. This is the emphasis. Follow me. Again, it's not very complex. The Christian faith is really about prioritizing Jesus. It is possible, you know, in the dynamics of religion, even in Christianity, to forget this sometimes, that this is the cornerstone of our faith, to sit at the feet of Jesus, to follow him wholeheartedly, that is always the priority. Not how often you come to church service, as important as that is, not how active you are in doing all these things, running around. All these things must flow from this love and priority for Jesus, not defining you as a Christian. So Jesus is very clear on this. And he actually issues this challenge to Martha. He says, Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. He's basically telling Martha, you don't deprive her of this. You have an issue, yes, it's fine. Minister to you on that. You have to change that. But don't deprive others of this priority. And I think this is very important because this influences all of our ministries in any local church setting. Do we get people to come to the ministry because we want them to help out in our services or because we want them to encounter Jesus? It's very straightforward, you know, this question. If you put this in all of your ministries, in Sunday school, in music ministry, in, in your fellowship groups and all of this that we do in the service, if we say that, ask ourselves, is the priority for them to encounter Jesus or to meet our weekly needs of the church? Because that will influence the dynamic of how you get people involved. 
Because if you just see them as a commodity, you just see them as uh, filling in those gaps, then there is no encounter with Jesus. You don't want to facilitate that. And that's why Jesus is telling Martha here, she says, she will not, Mary will not be deprived of this. She has chosen what is needed. And I feel therefore, as a local church, we need to always be reminded of this. That everyone who comes in here, even as a priest, my job is not to make you more Anglican. My job is not to get you to tithe more and more, although those are all good expressions. It must first start with this priority. I want you to encounter Jesus. I want you to sit at his feet, to receive his word, his words of truth, of life, of assurance. I want you to follow him wholeheartedly. And then from there, however it may express itself, whether in this ministry, in this church, or even outside in your day job, praise the Lord. But that's how we must look at it. It's interesting that from one simple house visitation here, eh? one simple house visitation, Jesus shows us a paradigm, a model for discipleship. That Jesus at the same time not only shows us that paradigm for discipleship, but he also exposes some of the pitfalls of how you can be so busy doing the ministry of God, but that may mean masking the state of your heart that needs to be healed that needs to be addressed concerning what you prioritize in the Christian faith itself. So brothers and sisters, what, what, what do we say from all this? Even such a short passage. If it can be summed up, it be like this. Prioritize Jesus. When Jesus comes to your home, and for all of us right now, we know through the Holy Spirit, He's with us. He's in our homes. What then do you prioritize in your home? You know, as a pastor's kid, sometimes you get the pressure. People ask, hey, do you do like family devotion? Like how long is your family devotion every day? Is it like five minutes or is it one hour? You know, do, must it be this way and that way? And then sometimes pastors are pressured to say like, oh, I do it this way. I read this book for my kids and all that. But every family is different. The most important thing that you want to do is you want to make sure that you let the Lord be Lord of the house. You don't engineer programs just so that your children can mimic what it's like to be Christian. But you show them in your life, you make it natural that Jesus is Lord of this house. How do we do that? Not by necessarily making everything so nice and fancy and complex so that you can tell people, you know, I use this book for my devotion, my family, in my family, we all play instruments in our home worship. All these things are not bad in themselves, but if they are used to brag, then the heart is not right. When Jesus comes into your home, he wants you to encounter him without filter, without all the nice things and, the, and all the frills. He just wants the family to come as you. I found, and I'll give you this example and as I close, I found that when I show my children my weakest side and I say, Papa needs Jesus, that's why. And then we pray for each other. I found that that is when they encounter God because they realize that, oh, Jesus is not just going to Sunday school. Jesus is not just singing worship songs. Jesus is someone who wants to see our heart and wants to minister to us, even to Papa, even to Mommy, even though they are Christian for many years. When they see that, huh, then they know, okay, it is about Jesus' encounter, not about all these religious things. These religious practices must come from that encounter, 
That's the most important thing. All these spiritual disciplines or acts of worship or liturgy must flow out of that encounter. It's so important for families. Just based on this simple visitation. And my prayer for all of us, therefore, is that we commit to that. We work towards that. Jesus wants to minister to your heart. He doesn't want to be impressed by our religiosity, despite the good intents. He just wants you to open up, say, I'm struggling with this at home, I'm struggling with this at work, I'm struggling at this in my relationships, with my family members, with my co-workers. Help me. And when you learn to do that, you will experience the ministry of the Lord in your home. Let's strive to be more and more like Mary. That is not to say that you cannot do work. Huh? Now, this sermon is never to be misunderstood as pitting spirituality, prayer against good service in church. It's not about that. That is not the point of this passage. But the point of this passage is to prioritize Jesus. Encounter him first and out of that, all the good works, all your acts of service based on that encounter with Jesus. Let us pray. Father, we commit all that has been shared and looked at in your word this morning. We ask, for oh God, that you help us, Lord, to see indeed really the treasure of Jesus. That, Lord, you are in all of our lives, not because you are impressed by us, no way, but because you love us. And that when, when we open up our lives to you, even in the privacy of our homes, Lord, you will indeed show forth your guidance and healing and ministry in our lives. Let it not also be just limited to the privacy of our homes, but even in our churches, in our prayer meetings, in all of our ministries, oh God, that we strive to put Jesus as the priority, that we strive to encourage all of our disciples and church members to come to serve, not because there are needs alone, but because we want them to encounter Jesus through these ministries. Help us, therefore, to provide that kind of platform that truly prioritizes Jesus, not only as Lord, but as pastor of our souls in these ministries. We surrender all these thoughts to you. We ask for the Holy Spirit to guide us and help us in the days ahead. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.